you can be the most academic person and be involved in agriculture. Um, you could be somebody who really doesn't want to do tertiary education um, and you can be involved in agriculture. You could finish school, you know, as soon as you're allowed to finish school and still be involved in agriculture. G'day and welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast in collaboration with the Royal Agricultural Society Victoria. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and over the next 11 days, we've got something pretty exciting in store. The Royal Agricultural Society of Victoria, or RASV, has proudly presented the Royal Melbourne shows since 1855. It's Victoria's largest and most iconic annual community event, attracting more than 450,000 visitors and contributes more than $244 million to Victoria's economy each year. Due to the impact of COVID-19, the Royal Melbourne show was cancelled this year for only the third time in its 165-year history. After what has been an incredibly testing year for many people, we are very excited to be celebrating the Royal Melbourne show online this year. Over the next 10 days, you'll be hearing stories from a range of people who are all actively involved in the show, and some of them for nearly 50 years. Today I'm sitting down with father and son duo Ray and Dion Brooke. Ray has been involved with the Royal Melbourne show since his first visit as a young fella back in 1959. What I've found incredibly interesting over these last few conversations has been when we're talking about what people will miss at the show this year, it's coming back to missing the friends that they've met over the years and also the opportunity to make new ones. Before we jump into today's episode, I just really quickly want to apologise that for the first couple of minutes, the sound isn't the best. We've got a couple of glitches but stick with us. So today I wanted to find out a bit more about them and so we're better to start than what's happening in the local footy league this year. In 1974, he committed to two weeks of no work to exhibit alongside his dad for the first time at the Royal Melbourne show. We chat a bit more about why both of them have worked off farm and the opportunities it's allowed for their farming businesses. We talk about the success that the Brooks have had over three generations with Stanley Brook in 1974 Ray in 1996 and Dion in 1998. Dion and Ray give me a bit more insight into their extra involvement and some of the extra opportunities there are around the RASV. We also talk about the emerging opportunities at the show around the Beer Awards and Dion puts his hand up to be a judge. And finally, we finish off with some incredibly wise words about the opportunities in agriculture. Enjoy the chat. G'day, Dion and Ray. How are you going? Going well, thanks, Ollie. Thanks for having us. Good afternoon, Ollie. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have you guys here, and obviously this year, um, a bit of a strange one. Just checking in. How how have things been for you, Dion, this year? It's been uh, a funny year, obviously, for everyone, and, and uh, not immune to it here. Whilst we haven't quite had the stage four restrictions out in rural Victoria, having uh, young kids. We've been homeschooling now for um, most of, um, well, all of them very basically and, and a little bit of term two. So that's been a, a test of uh, the relationship with the kids and uh, on homeschooling. So that's put a different spin on how you appreciate things at home and, and uh, actually how much you appreciate your wife for what she can do juggling homeschooling and um, and uh, her job. And then um, and I'm working from home with my job as well. So it's it's been a challenge, but it's, it just makes things a little bit harder. It's not uh, insurmountable, that's for sure. And Ray, how do you reckon you would have gone homeschooling Dion? 
It had been very interesting. The naughty corner might have been used a few times. Those were the days where you could, yeah, get the ruler out, I think, still. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say I would have had a bruised backside, Ollie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, how, how are you going, right? You, you've been keeping well? So it's certainly a bit different with no football because my life for the last 55 years has been revolved around football every Saturday and uh, every day seems to roll into the same day. And after attending, uh, probably only missing 20 matches of football in 55 years, it's, it's a little bit different. And I really do miss the football and uh, each day on the farm and the really only time I can call in at the local coffee shop is when I go up to Dion's and Christie's place. So I make that fairly often. Yeah, lovely. Who is the local footy team for you? Cavendish. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, in the Southwest League, yes. So big year next year. Hopefully people are eager to start seeing people and big turnout for pre-season training. It's going to be very interesting, Ollie, because um, a lot of the players have have found other things to do during the year. And I really believe country football is going to struggle a little bit to field two teams because... Uh, Rail, we'll start off with you and, and just wanted to talk a little bit about your background into agriculture and how it came about. But Oh, yes. I, um, my father started the start in 59 and uh, dad continued that on until um, he passed away at, in 1977. And um, I sort of took the start on and then Dion and Alistair came. Their interest when we got back into the showing after many years off in around about 1990 and that was sort of the third generation. Now I've got uh, two grandsons. Um, yeah, lovely. And so you, you spent a few years as a shearer as well, though. So was farming kind of the second option? Yes, I did. No, Ollie, that was the only way you could make a living. And uh, I was going to lead into that when we went to the first Royal Show in 19... Exhibiting at the first Melbourne show was in 1974. And... Uh, that was in the middle of the shearing season and I had to take two weeks off a full fortnight away from the farm and shearing. And I had a small farm, but dad had his and I was uh, shearing off farm. So to miss two weeks of income at that time for a full fortnight off the um, shearing track was a big dent in the income. So Ray, yeah, you, you used to take a couple of weeks off, as you were saying, to go to the Royal Melbourne show. What was it that was worth missing a couple of weeks of payback then to, to head along? Well, my father had, uh, got quite ill and uh, we thought this would give him a hit, a kick to take the cattle down to the show. And of course, um, he wasn't well enough to go down to the show. And as you said, you left on the Thursday and uh, uh, on the Sunday, I'm sorry. And um, by the way, we won the premiership the day before. So I drove past the local rec reserve with all the boys celebrating about 11 o'clock on that Sunday morning for me long trip. I arrived at the showgrounds and um, in the 1952 Chev and uh, pulled up alongside a brand new semi-trailer load of show cattle. So it was a bit daunting when I first arrived for my first show. And you mentioned about uh, being, being the shearer. We were fortunate enough to win the Supreme Short on that in our first showing. And they were the days when you judged on the Thursday and all the breeds were on the arena together. And uh, the media reported it later in the paper, Shearer Hobby Farm wins title. So the old Shearer is still going to mention down the show. How good. 
That's bloody cool. Yeah, and then yeah, so it was different days judging. Every all the breeds were judged on the one day, and um, there was a bull sale end that was held during the show. But uh, that was the. I think we may have went once or twice after that. But as I said, the income was too much of a dent with a young family, and uh, we while we visited the show, and. Um, we didn't go back till, till Dion and Alistair, I'd say around about 1990. They kept in contact with the show scene. And my first experience of going to the show was in 1959 to watch the show judging. So it was a big day, drive down and back, milk, dad and milk two cows before we go and milk when we got home and we saw the judging and came home. So it was really a big kind of thing. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. A Melbourne show, because those days you didn't go to Melbourne very often. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Dion, for you, um, just your background, you're, you're a bit of a hybrid between a rural banker and, and a farmer. Can you tell me a bit more about what you do? Yes, so I work full-time for Rabobank. I have done so for 10 years and been in agri-finance for nearly 15 years, Ollie. So really enjoy doing that and normally being able to go out and sit down with people at the kitchen table and have a chat to them about their business because... People are proud of their business, so that's always enjoyable. And we have a small farm at home, which is the farm Ray was referring to when he was uh, going down to the show in 1974. Um, we're now on that property, and uh, Ray's on the home property to Laura. So evenings and weekends are occupied with uh, farm work and kids, and um, full-time job in at Rabobank. So it it gets a bit challenging at time juggling both of them, but certainly no one's making us doing it. We're doing it because that's what we like doing. And do you think, um, so your old man was just mentioning before about you getting into the show side in the nineties. Do you think it's something your kids are interested in? Yes, they are. We have four children and uh, we've been doing a couple of shows with them. We've been doing the local country shows, which is always a lot easier with the kids. And they've also participated in Melbourne show a few times as well. So my oldest daughter, she's 12 years old. So she's been down to the show a few times and helped out. Um, and uh, we've been to the Shorthorn Heifer Show with um, my two daughters. The two oldest kids have been to a Heifer Show up in New South Wales as well. So they're um, they're keen on it. I wouldn't say that they're dead set, um, have to be there knocking the door down every day doing that thing. But certainly with some encouragement, they enjoy doing it. And uh, my two sons are a little bit too young to be uh, letting them loose with the animals yet. But certainly they've got a... Um, a passion there for outside and animals as well so whether they want to continue to do that I'm certainly not going to push them towards that if that's what they want to do we'll certainly provide all the uh, all the support they need to um, to be able to do that type of thing 
And so for Ray, what, what's it like from your perspective after being obviously exposed to the show for the first time in 1959 and such a long history with it, when you do start to see your grandkids coming along and getting involved? Yeah, that's really exciting, actually, Ollie. And uh, it gives me a great thrill that they, uh, while they're interested enough to come along, and uh, I guess some of those kids would have, well, some of mine, I can remember um, in the uh, late 70s, all they would have seen sitting in their pram would have been feet because those days there could have been 100,000 at the show sitting in the pram wouldn't be very exciting. And uh, I've got nine grandchildren and... um, they all uh, all love to get to the show, no matter how small they are or how old. My oldest is uh, 20, and uh, he's in Melbourne um, studying at the moment. And uh, James, and he's the one that's very interested, along with uh, Dylan in the cattle, or James's first-year job working with the local nationwide AI company here. And Dylan's at year 10 in uh, Rainbridge in Hamilton. It's good to have them all involved and looking towards opportunities in agriculture. Yes, well, uh, my days of breaking the balls in are now uh, past me. So they, I don't mind feeding them and looking after them, but the, the show inside and the breaking in of it beyond me. So it's great to get out of that and sit back and relax when you get at the show, even though you don't relax. Uh, Dion and uh, the grandkids are doing the... Uh, the showing and the uh, preparation down at the show. They're the ones that stay at the showgrounds and uh, probably conditions a little bit better than when we used to sleep on top of the lockers back in the 70s. And even in the 90s, we used to sleep on top of the lockers in the old cattle pavilion. Now they're in uh, luxury. So, so Dion, for you, what's, um, what, what does it look like for you when you head down to Melbourne for the show? Well, just going back to Ray, talk about looking at feet under the grandstand, um, yeah, certainly those first few would have been the late 80s. Uh, it was obviously exciting to be going down, but I'm pretty sure the boredom would have kicked in pretty quick. So some things haven't changed, and Bertie Boodle was the bribery that we were offered uh, at that point before we were really that interested in the cattle. So um, that's certainly 30 years later. There's plenty of Bertie Boodles when you get to the show to keep the young kids quiet for a bit <laughs> <bit> of time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so... I. I really, I was trying to think the first show I can remember, I can remember bits and pieces of being out on the, the main arena watching judging, but it's not until probably about 1992 that I can actually remember the cattle in the shed. And, and we had a team of cattle that went down that year and I was too young to go. So I was devastated. I wasn't allowed to stay on the showgrounds. And my brother Alistair was there with dad. And that was the beginning of us getting back into showing at Melbourne show and, and even like, that was the beginning of getting back into things then. So from 92 onwards, we were pretty much been to every show. There's a couple we've missed for um, for family reasons, but uh, otherwise we've been there every year ever since. And I think it would have been 93 would have been the first year I was actually able to go down for the whole year uh, for the whole week and spend the time in the in the show. And that was the excitement of you know staying in the lockers and and seeing some people you only see once a year. So that was sort of the beginning of me getting involved with the show itself and I'd been able to go down to the showgrounds earlier that year in April. The the um, the Victorian Heifer show was always held at the showgrounds in those days as well. So I'd had three or four days down there earlier in the year to meet some kids. So it was nice to go back down you know, five months later and, and see those kids again because of course those days you 
not that long ago, but we certainly didn't have mobile phones. You're, um, you, you, that was the only contact you had was to ring someone and never rung that many people. So it was good to go back down you know, and see those people again. And that was the beginning of meeting a lot of people your age that are friends now, you know, 30 years later. That was, uh, I was going to mention that, Ollie. That's one of the real advantages of the show, meeting um, the other breeders and two families that we've um, really uh, got to know and uh, spent a lot of time with at those shows has been the Tippetts and the Mackay families from Ballarat. And um, it's been really uh, great to catch up. And that's what we we are missing out on this year for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and before we jump into the missing things, in terms of success for you guys, have over the years, um, have you had success at the show? Yeah, we have. Ollie, we've been very fortunate. So, as Ray mentioned earlier, the very first year that that uh, we exhibited in 1974, um, we won Grand Champion Shorthorn Bull and Supreme Shorthorn Exhibit, and then um, it was 1996 before we really had some major success again. So we we had the gap until the 90s from exhibiting, but we started again. Um, 1991, uh, 92, definitely can remember being at the show, but it wasn't until 1996 that we had major success again. And by major success, we won the grand champion, junior champion and grand champion short on bull and supreme short on exhibit. So, um, so Stanley Brook, my grandfather had won in 74. Then Ray uh, won in 1996 with a bull. And then in 1998, um, I exhibited for the first time under my own name. And we won, again, junior champion and grand champion, Shorthorn Bull and Supreme Shorthorn Exhibit. So then that had been the third generation that had actually won the Supreme Shorthorn Exhibit with the bull um, from the family. So that was pretty exciting. And um, in, the, uh, in the 90s, that was when the interbreed started. We won um, some reserve champion interbreed ribbons with the bulls and, through the 2000s, we've won a few more champions and with bulls and females. But the biggest award we won at the show was a Supreme Junior Interbreed Female. Um, it was a young heifer that um, won the Supreme Short on Exhibit and then won the Supreme Junior Interbreed Female. So that would be the biggest award we have won at the show was in 2010. So there's obviously a bit of pressure on the next generation, Ray, for for them to continue, and Dion, for them to continue the success? Yes, uh, I hope they can. Uh, and the main, you say pressure, but it's always great to see them enjoying and they need to like what they're doing, Holly, and uh, that's probably the best reward you get is uh, seeing them doing what they want to do and the awards that come along will be a real bonus for them. And so in terms of the show, one thing that I found really interesting with talking with all these different people along the way has been that sense of community that they feel. And so for you guys, does that start at the local shows as well or, or is the Royal Melbourne show the main one that you guys turn up to each year? Oh, we try to support the local shows in the springtime and, and autumn, um, but there's not as many shows, certainly even from when I was, in high school and primary school, we had a lot more local shows. They're um, probably half in number now. So we try and support the Belmoral show, the Coleraine show, the Casterton show and the Tirandara show. Um, unfortunately, again, we won't be participating in those this year. But 
they're the four local shows that we support and then the Melbourne show being the main one. So um, probably use the local shows as um, a bit of a training ground for the kids. Uh, and everyone at the at the country shows is um, very supportive of, of, okay, this is pretty much about the kids. It's not about the animals. It's not about winning. Obviously, it's great to, to, to get some awards at the local shows, but it's very much about getting the kids in charge and the kids are doing everything. If they're big enough and capable enough, it's quite often you'll see a, a whole class of animals that it might be being led by all kids and um, and it's about their education and, and teaching them the skills they need to hopefully then be better when they do get down to the Melbourne show. Yeah, and some of these animals would dwarf over some of those kids, wouldn't they? Yes, yes, certainly. Um, you want to make sure you've got uh, a quiet animal with the uh, with the young kids, and, and again, you you quite often you'll see a ring of parents around that, and they won't be just looking after their kid; they'll be looking after all the kids. And so, with the, I suppose the the shows broadly, but I, I do want to focus on the Royal Melbourne Show as part of this, given it's in Melbourne and, and attracts a, a massive city audience. What? Why is the Royal Melbourne Show important? for bringing the country to the city each year? Well, it's a bit cliche, but for some people, it's the only experience or opportunity they get to see some form of agriculture. And it might be the only time they see a live animal um, in terms of a a farm animal. So whether it's a a chook, uh, a cow, a sheep, um, horses, it, it may be, the only time that those people see a farm animal for the year and it might be the only opportunity they get for education about some simple things like where does milk come from? Where does where do my wheat bix come from? Where does meat come from? Where, all those simple things as country people we take for granted. And as cities get bigger and bigger, um, you do feel that there is still some disconnect between whilst we can be the most connected we've ever been with um, mobile devices, it still feels like there is a disconnect between education of young children about the realities uh, of, of, um, of farming and, and actually you know, what farming means. How does, how, how does my food get table? It doesn't just come from the supermarket, obviously. So it's an opportunity for those kids that want to, to be able to come and, and learn those things. So if we're not there, then there is a missing piece of that link for the education for those people. One thing that stands out is, well, with all the Royal shows, but Melbourne in particular, it attracts over 500,000 people, which is a massive amount of people that will wander through and look at the different animals and the various agriculture displays. It's an awesome opportunity for people to just to ask a question, isn't it? And so, Ray, for you, like, how have the the shows changed over the years, and I suppose the the focus and importance of agriculture? Well, the big thing, uh, Ollie, is it, when judging day there years ago, when many years ago when we started, a lot of country people had come, but nowadays it's really it's exhibitors and uh, a few that will come in. It's uh, that, what I've noticed is there's not a lot of country people come down to the uh, Royal Show and uh, they might pop in with the kids occasionally, but they don't make that day down 
transit in for judging day like they did many many years ago and so for, for you guys the um the involvement with obviously so there's the royal melbourne show but sitting behind that is the royal agricultural society of victoria and so your involvement goes beyond just a, a week or, or a couple of weeks in september and you've been fairly involved with them over the years how how have you guys been involved with the um rasv outside of, of the show ollie we participate in the beak week field days in february and the ras have been a sponsor of the heifer challenge there so we have um, participated in the heifer challenge every year that that's been um, a competition and we've had a bit of success in that we won the very first year that the ras had the heifer competition um so and we've been in the final um four times i think it is since it's been um been run so we're involved with the ras through that but also even when the ras comes out to um say for example sheep mention at hamilton they come out and have their display and try and drum up some support for the ras at sheep pension for example so we try and assist where we can there whether it's providing animals for um, some type of display or even if it's just talking to kids about um, about the melbourne show and about the ras and even then down to a level it may not be direct into the ras but certainly just the um the input to the local shows so agricultural shows victoria um, to you know, assist where we can with the local shows. Uh, for a long time, Hamilton had the Beef Expo held in February as well. Um, so there's sort of a bit of a, an indirect tie-up through what the RAS is trying to achieve. Um, but certainly the main, the main thing is the show and, and Beef Week through the heifer competition. And then any time throughout the year, if there's anything that we can uh, help out with and participate in, then we try to. Um, it'd be nice to help them out with the, the beer awards, but we haven't quite got a competition to go in and help judge that. <laughs> an invitation to go around and uh, judge that. Um, but uh, hopefully that might be forthcoming soon. But it, it, what it, what's really good to see, though, uh, on that note, Ollie, is the the variety of competitions and the variety of industries. It's not just the beef cattle industry, but the other parts of agriculture that the RAS actually do have their involvement in. So whether it is the food awards, wine awards, the beer awards, coffee, um, all the different commodities that we would normally see uh, you know, out in a paddock, whether it's um, you know, cereal grains, oil seeds, beef cattle, wool, meat sheep. Um, you know, when you think about it, it is, the Royal Agricultural Society. So it does cover all those things. So we might get focused on the beef cattle, but to see all those other bits and pieces um, that they are involved in um, is it's good to you know good to see those bits and pieces popping up as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm really glad you you mentioned that too because that is just it, it's kind of the the progression, isn't it, of agriculture more broadly? But it is really at this level that consumers and other people understand, but it is all underpinned with agriculture. And obviously for you, we'll get that shout out there again, that um, Dion for beer awards, judge 2021. (laughs) (laughs) There's one thing, Ollie, there's one thing, Ollie, that uh, I I think is great that the steer competition's going on this year, even though it may be up at yay. But that involves a lot of schools, as you know, and uh, the education that those kids spend at the the, um, agricultural colleges and schools in preparing those animals. And, uh, well, it's great 
when they go down to the Royal Show in those two or three days, it must be huge what they learn. Uh, but for them to continue with that this year, so I think that's great. And it's giving those schools an opportunity still, while it's a limited involvement, they'll still have that contact with the RAS. And I think that's one of the real things that I think that's emerged in the last 10 years is being the involvement of the steer competition and the number of schools and young people involved in that competition. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Because so much work goes in behind the scenes for people to get these animals um, or just any any of the commodities to get them ready for, for these couple of weeks in September that hold such prestige. So for people to still to be able to exhibit and all that hard work that's gone into date to, uh, to be rewarded um, is really exciting. Yeah, well, see, you say it starts actually starts from the Longanong College. They select their steers in March to go into the competition. When they come around, they select them. So it's a six month for them in the preparation and involvement. So it is not just the uh, couple of days down the show. Yeah. And Dion, for you, there was another aspect of the RASV that you were able to go to, um, which I'm sure was work as well, was heading over to Canada. And so what you went over to, to Edmonton last year, which we're very lucky with the timing. Um, what, what was happening over there? Ollie, I was very fortunate to receive a scholarship through the RAS to go to the RASC, so the Royal Agricultural Societies of the Commonwealth, to their conference, as you said, in Edmonton in Canada. It was a gathering um, of all the RASs from, from the Commonwealth, um, so very heavily um, Australia and the United Kingdom, but also some African nations and um, Canada was represented as well. Uh, so it was a, a, a gathering of, of the, um, I guess the, the higher, the, the executives, a lot of executives from the Royal Agricultural Societies there um, having sort of their high level discussions. But what I got to participate in was called The Next Generation. And that was for people under 40 years old. And there was a lot of opportunities for uh, people to get scholarships to go to that. So there was probably about 25 Next Generation participants from Australia that went over, uh, of which I only knew one, which was Grant Coverdale. So spent a lot of time, or spent the entire time with Grant over there and met some fantastic people from Australia, but then also uh, from all those countries, from the United Kingdom and Africa and uh, even some Asian countries that are still part of the Commonwealth, um, some guys from Malaysia that were there. It, um, it, it, was, it was amazing to see the value of agriculture and again, the tie up to those countries, uh, even Singapore. So we think of Singapore as, as the city, they still have a very active rural agricultural society. So to sit down, and learn from those guys how they view the Royal Agricultural Society and how they are trying to educate, not just educate, but just awareness about uh, the agricultural side of things. And, and for them, obviously, their food doesn't come from a couple of hundred kilometres away, just you know, in the next state or something. It's it's almost all, all imported. So, they the way they have to um, go about their sides of uh, agriculture is completely different. But there are so many lessons to be learned listening to those people and, and how they go about educating uh, all levels of uh, or age groups, not just young people, but even uh, the older generation. So it was a phenomenal opportunity and 
Um, it was 10 days. Uh, we got to see some fantastic things in Canada as part of the tours. Uh, we got to go out and um, visit some amazing uh, agricultural production systems. We did, we did beef, we did dairy, uh, we did goat dairy, uh, we did vegetables. Um, we did everything from, from actually being on the, on a property, um, looking at dirt to all the way through to the, the, the end part of um, the processing stage uh, of vegetables and then even going to restaurants where we'd followed food all the way through. Uh, and the same with uh, beverages as well. So it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, and the networking opportunities that came out of that, we've met uh, some fantastic people that uh, we've kept in touch with and uh, from Australia and also from around the globe. It was a, a phenomenal opportunity, uh, one that I'll be indebted to the RAS for a very long time for. It's really interesting, isn't it? That just that the perspectives. And when you mentioned Singapore, they're, they're such an interesting country and, and case study when it comes to food because they've got some pretty ambitious goals of growing their own. And obviously with not a whole lot of land around them, it's uh, yeah, going to take a lot of innovation. It is. And, and just to sit down and, and talk to them about their vertical farming that they were implementing. So it was a couple of years ago, 2018, that we were there and uh, talking to them about what they're doing with their market garden. So the term of the market garden to us for them is completely different and, and how they're using their lack of space and, and going vertical with everything. It was, uh, it was amazing. Um, and things that you know we're not exposed to as, as much here because we, we're blessed with so much space around us um, that they don't have. So just talking to them about their production systems for their, their vegetables, it was just phenomenal. One question I've been asking everyone is actually turning back the clock. Obviously, you guys have, have had, Ray, Ray, your experience has, has been over a considerable number of years in agriculture. But if you were talking to school students today in say year 10 or 11 and they're looking at what's next for them in terms of a bit of life advice but also around agriculture, what, what would be some of the lessons or, or things that you'd mention to them? Well, Ollie, I think today the opportunities are far wider than when I, when I um, left school. You went home, you worked on a farm, you did your shearing and that was it. But today, you've only got to see the number of females and males, both, given the opportunity in so many different avenues of the um, rural industry. We here locally, and I guess all other towns, it's got the risk where the year 10 students get the opportunity to come out, do a day's work on the farm per week. They've got risk throughout the year they've got the opportunity to do work experience and that gives them a great opportunity and you only have to see and look at the the stud sale reports of how many young people particularly females are involved in the beef industry and um, but there's a huge amount of opportunities today um longer and on college up to their course they're only an hour or so north of us the opportunities are those children uh, kids get to learn up there of different avenues. We see so much difference today with agronomists and how important the, um, our grasses are. So there's great opportunities that many different ways there, Ollie, in the rural industries. And what about for you, Dion? If you were to, I suppose you've got kids, but uh, in terms of, yeah, just general advice for people in and around agriculture. Very much along the same lines, Ollie, as Ray, that the opportunities are are abundant. 
Um, it's you can be the most academic person and be involved in agriculture. Um, you could be somebody who really doesn't want to do tertiary education um, and you can be involved in agriculture. You could finish school, you know, as soon as you're allowed to finish school and still be involved in agriculture and be able to work your way into uh, whatever part of the agricultural um, industry that you, you want to. The, the opportunities are, are endless. We need people that are as clever as rocket scientists and we need people uh, doing day-to-day on the farm, getting their hands dirty. Uh, you only have to see the amount of technology and every year there's more and more technology. So there are people, and I see it through my my uh, work at the bank, the amount of people that are involved in agricultural industry um, indirectly, and they are you know, driving advancements in technology. They haven't grown up on farms. They are very clever people that are perhaps grown up in a city and never spent much time in the field, but they are providing us with the technology opportunities to get uh, the efficiency gains we need to get to, uh, to remain competitive. So it is, if you want to be involved in agriculture, you can be involved in agriculture in the middle of the city. You can be in agri- obviously involved in agriculture out uh, in a paddock. Um, there, is, there is so many opportunities available to young people and to older people. Um, if it's what you want to do, there's certainly somewhere that you will fit within agriculture. Beautiful. No, I love it. Thank you very much. And yeah, f- thank you for taking the time to chat today to be part of the Royal Melbourne show. And obviously we can't be there this year in person, which is, is an absolute bummer, but uh, it's fantastic that you guys have taken the time and that the Royal Axis side of Victoria is still making sure we celebrate the importance of agriculture in Victoria. Yeah, thanks very much, Ollie, and thanks to the RAS for giving us the opportunity to put those few little uh, points across and how we've enjoyed this, and and thanks very much to you, and it's great to be involved. Thank you very much, Ollie. Um, Yes, it's a fantastic opportunity. We're um, we're thrilled to get the opportunity or the invitation to come and talk to you on the podcast. And um, you know, with so many other things we could talk about, uh, but certainly just one thing I'd like to say thank you to yourself, but also to the RAS committee um, working through what they've worked through this year to try and keep going what we can. So yeah, thank you to the committee and the people behind the scenes um, to keep things going. Uh, much appreciated. Um, I'm going to duck out to the supermarket on the way home and get a pack of birdie beetles now that we've been talking about them and. Um, that might be as close as we get to the show, but uh, yeah, we'll certainly um, certainly be missing it this year. Um, but thank you for the opportunity to, to talk to you today. Four episodes down and two more to go for our Royal Melbourne Show podcast this year. If you're anything like Dion, you still have time to go and get your birdie beetle bag or you can just go to your local Coles and Woolies and grab some birdie beetles for yourself. On Sunday, we're doing things a little bit differently, and I'm sitting down with Ed Gannon, who normally MCs the Agribusiness Luncheon. So, what better chance than to probe him on what may have been some of the topics of this year's luncheon? So, we chat about a little bit about climate change. I ask him about regenerative agriculture, and more broadly, just understanding the dynamics of what's happening in Australian agriculture, what are some of the opportunities, and also, what's the importance of the show? I love this chat with Ed. Can't wait to share it with you guys. See you then.